All right, good morning. Sorry, a little housekeeping, like Ricochet Rabbit. I drank way too much coffee this morning. So I could, like, I'm sitting here and I could feel, I'm like, nah. So I'm, like, kind of buzzing this morning, um, way too much. Maybe I made too strong a coffee. I'm not sure. Or I drank an empty stomach. I don't know. It doesn't matter either way. Um, I just thank you for coming this morning and being a part of our uh, church. And um, as uh, Steve Atula said, if you're a visitor and um, you didn't get a chance to fill out a visitor card before the ushers made their way to the back, please, please don't let that stop you from filling one out. You can drop it off in the box in the back. You can give it to me or you could just turn around and hand it to someone sitting next to you. I know that might be really awkward, but um, yeah, we want to make sure that we have an opportunity to reach out and, and, and talk with you as best as we can. So thank you for coming back. Last week we had communion, and I asked you the question, is it worth it? We talked about the treasure. We talked about the pearl. We talked about how someone kind of stumbled upon it, buried it, sold everything that he had, was committed to it. And we talked about the second guy who was out searching and seeking after something. And um, so we, we wanted to leave with the mindset, is, is this worth it. This relationship with God, trusting Christ, letting the Spirit work in my life, is following Him, is, is it really worth it? Is it worth it to you? Is it worth it to me? Is it worth it to your family? Those were the questions that we, we had talked about and the challenges that we threw out. So this week, I want to follow it up with a second question. Is it an option? Is what an option? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. If you remember last week, I briefly talked about Red Fred in the Shed. Does anybody remember hearing that? We talked about Spruce Lake. We took the kids in eighth grade on it. And at this retreat, you did this mapping and orienteering class where they gave you a compass and they showed you how to work it. And then they sent you out into the woods to hike around for an hour from spot to spot all over this map to find point A to point B to see all the way around. And when they give you the compass, they tell you there's a red box and there's a part of the compass that's red, and they called that Red Fred. And the whole purpose was no matter where your bearing point was, if you lined up Red Fred and put him in the shed, you would always be going the right direction. So I did a little bit of math, and I actually printed it out, and I put it in my notes, but then I deleted it because it was really, really long, and I honestly just didn't want to make a slide for it. If you're traveling, this is why it's so important to follow that little compass. For every hundred yards that you travel in a straight line, if your compass is off one degree, by the time you reach the end of a hundred yards on a straight line, you will be off five feet from your desired goal. Five feet's not a lot. Really, that's about as tall as I am. So if I'm going from here to the door, I could be five feet off. It's probably not a big deal. It's probably trivial. But when you start adding that up, and you start trying to get further and further along, that one degree difference turns into miles and miles and miles. I think it ended up being like 100 million feet. If you were to be off and you were to walk a straight line every day, like a couple miles a day, I think it was like, I think I did like 10 miles a day. 10 miles a day. By the time you hit the end of the year, you'd be so far from where you were headed, we have no idea where you're at. 
It's the same thing in our spiritual lives. We talk about who are we supposed to follow. One of the things that I learned from this trip in Spruce Lake, and we're going to kind of look at what the Bible says about it today, is some of the kids were just kind of like, I think I know where I'm going, so I'm just going to go my own way. And literally, 15 minutes went by, and they're like, um, we're down by the highway, and we have no idea where we are. So we had to send like a search team out to find these kids to bring them back. It's the same thing that can happen to us. Jesus asked the question to some of these folks in Luke chapter 9, and that's where we're going to start this morning. But first, this is what Luke 9.23 says. It says, If any man will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We talked about what it meant to deny ourselves, right? A willful signing over of our life to somebody else is what Jesus is talking about. Denying yourself means I am, I am giving over authority, I am giving over lordship, I am giving over stewardship, I am giving over service. Everything to what I can do, what I want to do, what I need to do, I'm going to sign it over and I'm going to give it to God. He is going to hold the title, the deed to my life. We talked about it being a daily thing. Every morning I have to wake up with the decision... What am I going to do today that's going to make me more of a disciple? Has anybody ever asked that question? What am I going to do today that's going to make me more of a disciple? What am I going to do today that's going to further my prayer life? What am I going to do today that's going to like, encourage me to read more? What am I going to do today that's going to cause me to serve somebody else? I, uh, I love the Rocky movies. Anybody else? Right? I, it's the best. And I think it's Rocky IV after Ivan Drago kills Apollo Creed. And he's standing in the ring and they're trying to interview him. And all he's like, if he dies, he dies. Best part of the movie. And, you know, Rocky's sitting there on the ground. And he's holding Apollo. And, you know, Apollo's doing his, he's like all twitchy and stuff because he's, you know, dying. And Rocky gets home and he goes through this whole thing. But then when he starts his training, what's he do? Takes the little cutout, puts it's every day he looks at it, he sees his opponent. Every day he refocuses himself. Every day he reminds himself, I'm gonna fight this guy and I need to be prepared. I don't know if you're the type of person who's gonna put post-it notes on your mirror. I will tell you, I don't think my wife is gonna let me put sticky notes on my mirror. Maybe she will, but probably not. And I don't know, you might think about it, sticky notes on there, that's really kind of like, But what are you using as a reminder to follow? A daily reminder. In youth group, we've been talking about prayer, and we've been talking about our purpose and our expectation. And we all understand this. This has a purpose, right? And I also have an expectation that it's going to work for me. When it stops working, what do I do? I replace it. Or when something cooler comes out, I replace it. No, see, not, not, not this year. <laughs> Listen, I was trying. I was hoping I would get that in there and get a couple amens. I see, see, you need it. No, we, we understand purpose and expectation. If our purpose is to have a relationship with God, to honor Him, to be reconciled to Him, there is an expectation that we have to do our part. We have to do our part. This is still all part of the intro stuff. So I didn't forget to pray yet. I promise. I found this pretty funny cartoon. 
And I don't know if you can read it, so I will read it to you. Are you looking for the light church or the right church? This is what it says. The light church, 25% fewer commitments. Home of the 7.5% tithe, 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship services. We have only eight commandments. Your choice. <laughs> yeah. We use just three spiritual laws and have an 800-year millennial everything. Everything you've wanted in a church and less. There's a quote that Tozer writes that I took from the book Pursuit of God. And this is, it says, everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ. A term, incidentally, which is not found in the Bible, and we are not expected, therefore, to crave any further revelation of God to our souls. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is uh, deadly for all spiritual growth. One of the biggest problems that we have as a church as a whole, maybe in your life, I know in my life, I've wrestled with this. We've traded discipleship for complacency. We've traded discipleship for comfort. We've traded this idea of it is optional for me to follow. Right? Has anybody ever been to the museums down the city? Right? You been there? What do they, when you walk in the door, what do they say? A donation. What would you like to pay? What's the suggested? 30 bucks. What's the minimum? We'll take five. Here's your $5. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? Yeah, that's what I did. And, and I watched, and all the people around me, they had a different approach. They went, I pay my taxes, so my taxes fund this place, so I'm coming in. And I was like, oh, I guess that's one way to look at it. But what is the bare minimum? What do I need to do? What's the least that I could do? What's the least that I can do to experience this relationship with God? Well, say a prayer and put your trust in Him and then uh, you're all set. That is what he is talking about. Easy believism. I don't know if you've heard that statement or that, that term. That is death in a church. All I did, I punched my ticket, I'm on my way to heaven, I'm good to go. We used to call it fire insurance. They got fire insurance. He says, the lack of holy desire, complacency, our comfort, is what stops us from growing spiritually. Let's read some verses in Luke chapter 9. It says, chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. Most of you will probably be familiar with this. Is it really small up there? All right, it's bigger than I thought it would be. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go, proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You know what I really think is interesting in this portion of Scripture is we see three people, and if you fast forward and read the first part of chapter 10, Jesus starts to talk about the field. 
There's a lot of work to do, but not a lot of people willing to do it. This morning, that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Is it an option? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, be here and uh, hear your word. So, Lord, I just pray that you would allow me to speak clearly, speak through me. Lord, that um, our church would continue to grow in unity. And, Lord, we would continue to uh, put our hands to the plow and look towards you and reach this community, this county, this state for you. Lord, let us be a lighthouse and a beacon. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. What I really like about these verses and what Jesus has to say is there really is no option in his mind that the standard is going to be lowered. There's three people, they both, all three of them, present this uh, response to Jesus about following him. Jesus doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change the standard. He doesn't look in someone and say, I totally get where you're coming from, man. Just do this. When I taught, and I know there's other teachers in the room, sometimes you have students that would come to you and say, Mr. Strait, no, I really had a hard time last night. I had a lot going on, and I know you wanted XML writing down, but this is all I got, man. I know you wanted, you know, you wanted a page and a half, but I got about through a page. And you look at him and you think... All right, I'll take it. It's fine. I've willingly lowered the standard to say, what you've done is good enough. Cool. Do you know what happens with that? It starts to become the rule instead of the exception. Because Joe hears it. Joe comes out and Corey says, hey man, I only did page. Joe's like, I had band practice last night. So he comes in and he says the same thing. And of course, I got to look at Joe and I go, well, if I did it for Corey, I got to do it for Joe. And then Jimmy comes in and he says, but I was working late. And now all of a sudden my entire class is trying to turn in a half a page of paper because they didn't get around to it or they were busy or there was something that took their, 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 their focus off of it. And my standard, which was here, I've lowered. Guess what? Jesus does not do that. There's three people. They all have a different response. And Jesus says the same thing to them. There is no buts. There is no change. There is no difference. Jesus is saying, the total sum of who you are is what I want. All of you. All of you and all of you is what Jesus wants. He wants that commitment. Sarah, Mrs. Cruz, if you guys were here for Sarah's uh, wedding, it was awesome. Pastor had shared how there is a, a total intimacy where there is everything. You give everything to him, he gives everything to you, and that is a picture of the relationship of Christ in the church. He wants everything from us. Not just your money. People are like, yes, I don't have to tithe anymore. Tim said he doesn't want my money. He doesn't want our money. He doesn't want your pocketbook. He doesn't want the mindless service that we do. He wants our heart. He wants us to be committed to him. I was thinking about this this morning. And um, verse 23 is actually where it begins. And chapter 9 is long, 62 verses of teaching and Jesus being with the crowd and talking with the disciples. And that's where it starts. We looked at that verse. Deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow him. I think Luke is using these words to kind of wake us up. To kind of let, let, let this penetrate your mind. Let it penetrate your heart. God's not looking for a part-time commitment. 
He's not looking for a social commitment. This is uh, a quote from a guy named Art Turok. And I think Pastor has said this before. I, I, I kind of skimmed over it last week. But this was in the Reader's Digest. I don't, even, I don't even know if that's still in publication today. So I don't know how old this is. But here's what it says. There's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in doing something, you do it only when circumstances permit. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. I am in the process of trying to teach my daughter this, because she likes to do something, and then she loses interest, and then she bails. It's probably because she learned that from me, or probably me. My wife doesn't do that, but she's committed, she's committed. It's awesome. So i got to tell Taryn, Taryn, you made a commitment to do karate. Yeah, but Dad, Dad. It's so hot today. And there is like no air conditioning in the gym. Right, Gene? It's hot. Taryn, honey, I know it's hot, but you committed to this. Oh, all right, fine. Our spiritual life, what God is calling us to do, what he wants from us, what he requires from us, is not karate class. It's not, well, it's too hot to follow. It's too cold to follow. It's too rainy it's too whatever. The house is nice and comfortable. Um, we had that picnic a couple weeks back. It was a warm day. And I thought, it's so nice in my house. I did. I'm not going to lie. I kind of looked at my wife and I said, how do I get myself into these things sometimes? <laughs> Have you ever asked yourself that question, right? I mean, we all, this is, this is, I'm just trying to be real. Like, this is what it comes down to. Like, I made a commitment. It was, uh, listen, I'm not, you know, uh, Taryn is sick. I love kids. You can blame them for anything, right? Oh, sorry. Yeah, my kids were sick, you know. Taryn's like, yeah, my throat was tickly. I gave you notes. The first thing that I put on your notes is this. Following the most important thing. Following, I'm sorry, following is the most important thing, or maybe it's following the most important thing. There might be a small discrepancy. I'm sorry. The point is, following the most important thing. What do you notice about that word most? The quotation marks. What is the most important thing to you? See, because when this passage starts, there's one guy that jumps up and straight away says, I will follow you, Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. Ever been to a concert? Like you're in the front row or somewhere and someone gets up on stage and they're playing a song and it falls quiet and all of a sudden you hear someone in the crowd yell out, Marry me! I love you! Like really? Really? Is he like, all right, time out. I got a minister here. Come on up on stage. Does that person really mean that when they shout it out? And this is kind of what's happening here. There's a crowd. There's a bunch of people following Jesus. There's a lot of excitement going on. And this guy yells out in the crowd, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. I am there. And all Jesus does is he kind of looks at him and he pushes back on him and says, listen, the foxes have holes. The birds have nests. I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. You sure you want to do this? Are you positive that this is what you're willing to sign up for? Notice this guy's response. Crickets. Nothing. He didn't say anything. He doesn't go, oh, well, um, you know, I, uh, but yeah, this is, he just, there's no recorded response. 
nothing at all. Is Jesus really saying to him, I'm homeless, you willing to, you got to be homeless too? No. That's not the point of it. What he's saying is, here's my lifestyle. My lifestyle is, I don't know what I'm eating tomorrow. I don't know where I'm sleeping tomorrow. I don't know what I'm doing tonight. All I know is, I'm here to do the work of the Father. Are you okay with that? Are you willing to do the work of the Father? Are you willing to jump on and follow me, knowing that, hey, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen tonight. You see this all throughout the conversations that Jesus has with the disciples. Lazarus dies. In the book of John, it tells the story where Jesus is trying to get them to understand what's going on. And he says, come on, we've got to go to Lazarus. And Thomas stands up and he goes, oh, I guess we should go die with him too. I mean, come on, let's go. Like there's a, there's a lifestyle that is willing to say, I'm willing to deny the pleasures, the comfort, what I have. I'm willing to give that up to follow you, God. I'm willing to give that up. I'm willing to give up my personal indulgence. I'm willing to give up whatever it is that I find comforted. I'm willing to turn that all to the side to say, God, I will follow you wherever you call me. I will follow you into this relationship. I will follow you into discipleship. I like that Jesus always tells the truth. He's not sugarcoating it. He's not pretending, hey, this is going to be a piece of cake. He's not trying to make it sound like, I'm promising you the world. You ever been in a situation like that? My dad, love him to death. He used to go to these, he'd call me and say, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. You want to go to New Jersey? For what? Ah, some guy offered me, if I go to the seminar, I get a free vacation. Like, dad. Dad. Don't do it. Oh, it's, it's, listen, it's just 45 minutes down and we can sit. No. So he went, and he told me on the way, and he called me. Listen, I'm down here. I'm going to hear him out. I'm going to hear about this vacation thing. Perfect. Dad, don't buy anything. All right. What happened? You remember. Came home. He had a timeshare in Florida, and he was ready to rock and roll. I was like, Dad. He's like, no, but you don't understand. You can sell it, and someone else can buy your weekend, and it pays for itself. It did not pay for itself. It didn't. But there was this idea. It was, you know what? I can give it to my kids if they want to go on vacation and I have friends in the church that could use it. And I can go down and get away. I, maybe they used it once. Not even. I don't even... There was a promise that did not meet his expectation. Jesus isn't like that. If you're familiar with Luke 14, he talks about building a house. Who builds a house without first looking to make sure they have enough money to complete it so that way they don't get halfway through it and go, uh, I, uh, some of you that live in the Pine Bush area, maybe the Bullville, if you're driving up 17, right, somewhere up around where 80, 17 meets on 17K, off to the left, if you're driving towards the ice cream place, and I use like food things because that's, you know, up on the left, there's these buildings. I, I think they're still there. It's all grown over. They're wood frames. They look rotted out. I remember back when they first started building those. I have no idea what happened, but every time I drive by, it reminds me of this. This guy started building all these things where they were supposed to be apartments or a little strip mall, and it still sits there to this day, overgrown. Nobody uses it. It's a waste. Why? Because he didn't count the cost. He didn't stop to think, am I going to complete this? Am I willing to follow this until it's end. There is no 
sorry, there's an expectation that comes with the decision to trust Christ. That Tozer quote, first we trust and then we follow. But sometimes we stop at trust. I'm not required to follow. It's an option. I'm asking you this morning, is it really an option? The second response, the second person thought that falling was important, but not important as his family obligations. Jesus says, hey, follow me. He says, well, can I go bury my dad first? There's a lot that is kind of left open to interpretation in this. Is his father sick? Is his father old? Is his father already dead? Is he just trying to wait around to get an inheritance? It doesn't really matter. Because what he's saying is, I, I will, but this is a little more important. I don't know. Either way, he's looking at Jesus and his response is, once this obligation is done, I'll follow you. How many of us have done that? When I'm done with this, I'll follow you. I'm not picking on you, Sarah, but you just finished school. I've known a lot of people that have said, you know what, when I finish school, then I'll do this. When I finish A, and I finish B, when I get this new promotion, when I get this, when I follow, then I'll follow. Let me take care of what I'm currently dealing with now, and then I'll follow you. Jesus' response is, let the dead bury their dead. Follow me. That'll take care of itself. Follow me. Our obligation In this, I will say, sometimes our family is a bigger commitment than following Christ. Our kids, our loved ones, our relatives, it's a bigger commitment. I'm thankful that my kids are eight and five and, I don't know, three and a half months, something around there. Four months in a week. Yeah, almost four months. Sometimes it's easier when she's not here, all right? (laughs) They don't have a lot going on. I know that at some point I'm going to have to stop and say, no, we're not going to be able to do that because we've committed to this. We're not going to be able to do that because this is more important. I'm not going to be able to let you go there because you're not going to understand why now, but you will soon. You will understand. This isn't meant to say neglect your family. This isn't meant to say pretend they don't exist. There is a responsibility, parents, that you have to set an example to follow Christ that your child is going to follow and understand. I'm telling you, sometimes it's like banging my head on the wall listening to my kids pray. And you're probably thinking, you shouldn't really say that. You ever heard a five-year-old pray? And they start praying for everything? And like things where you're like, "Uh, all right, wrap it up. Uh, I pray for my plant, and I pray for my dog, and I pray for the playground, that it would be nice. And when I go down the slide, it's not hot. And I pray that you would... And then she does this. She's praying, and she goes... Like, one eye open to see if I'm still listening. And then, like, if I'm not listening, she's like, Dad, I'm praying. All right, fine. I know. Sometimes I have to say, Avery, honey, come on, wrap it up, right? And every time, it, it's... But you know what I want them to understand? Prayer is important. It's important. It's necessary. It's how we talk to God. It's how we communicate with Him. I want to make sure that they follow this example. 
And that the only time they're praying is at dinner time or breakfast or when they're in need of something. I want them to know that when I sit down to read, I want to make sure I try to turn off as many distractions as possible or I get up early or I stay up a little bit later than they do. Why? Because it's important. We're to this point now where Terrence, all she wants to do is technology, technology, technology. She wants her tablet. She wants the TV. She wants to play video games. And we're going to say, no, you get a half hour of this. You got to do this. Clean your room. Read a book. Do something creative. Why? Because it's important. I'm thinking maybe now's a good time to start building. You know what, Taryn? You want to play TV? Have you spent time with God yet? Have you, have you taken the opportunity to just... She has, um, thankfully, over the summer, if you follow us on Facebook, she has accepted Christ. She understands that. She gets it. She knows that she's a child of God. She says kind of weird things about it. She's like, Dad, isn't it cool that we're like brother and sister now? And I'm like, yeah... But I'm still your father, and you still have to listen to me. (laughs) Am I right? That is what she said. But I want her to understand, this is a priority. Following is not an option. And it's it's not just a polite request. We all understand polite requests, right? It's our responsibility to follow. My goal, and I pray that it's your goal, is that it spills out into them so that one day they understand it. They understand why it's important. They understand why it's a priority. But they understand the right way to do it. Don't neglect your families. Don't leave them hanging out, stranded, not thinking that God is way more important than them. God is the most important thing in, their, in your life. should be. It is in mine. But I want them to understand. It's because of His importance that I'm able to love you And I'm able to provide for you. And I'm able to be the father that you need me to be. I will tell you, growing up, my dad didn't always have this mindset. I can remember being at band concerts and looking out in the audience. And he's nowhere to be found. Little League games, nowhere to be found. Why? Well, son, I had this. I had that. Don't let that happen. The point isn't to neglect, to forget all, to turn your back on your family and follow God blindly. The point is... Is your obligation more important than what Christ is asking you to do? He's asking you to be a good parent. He's asking you to love your family. He's asking you to follow Him. He's asking you to take care of them. He's asking you to provide for them. He's asking you to just be a good dad, be a good mother. And I know that's really super reading into it, but I'm telling you, it's not about, I'm just going to forget my family, hate my family, and walk away. That's not what it's meant to be. The third response is the guy who says, I'll follow you, but I would really like to go home and say goodbye to everybody. He has another stipulation that he kind of puts on Christ. And he says, I just want to go back. I want to say goodbye to everybody. I'll follow you. Jesus says, hey, follow me. He says, yes, but. I want to go have a, maybe a going away party. Something, something small. It's no big deal. I want to make sure I say goodbye to Aunt Sally and my family and friends. Jesus is asking him, what are your priorities? Your relationships? Uh, your old ways? He finishes up this, and we're going to look at it near the end of, the, of, of today's sermon, but he says, no one who puts his hands to the plow and turns back is fit for the kingdom. He's saying, consider this. Think about it. Here's the decision that you're making. Are you sure this is you? Is this really who you are? Guy one, no response. I'll follow you. 
I don't know where I'm going. Are you okay with that? Mm. Guy two, follow me. Let me take care of my family. Let me bury my dad and take care of these obligations. Then I'll follow you. Guy three, follow me. Let me go say goodbye to my friends. Let me go finish off my old life before I turn around and walk in this new life. That's not at all what Jesus says. So the next thing, if you're filling out your sheets, is following the most important thing. All I did was take the quotations off it. Because here's, here's the mindset that I, I find youth struggling with. Uh, maybe you struggle with this. Maybe you know people that do. But here's, here's the problem that I see. Our teenagers, youth in general, view Jesus as an accessory. He's a bracelet. Serve others. What would Jesus do? My cross. There's no real substance behind it. But I have to ask the question, like, where do they get this idea from? Is it trickling down from our families? Is it trickling down from our church? Is it trickling down from their school? Everybody's a Christian, right? It used to blow my mind, like, the kids would come in and be like, hey, did you see the, the awards last night? Yeah, this guy got up there and he was, like, thanking God and it was so awesome. And I got to kind of pause and I got to stop and I got to think, I've listened to this person's music and I can't find anything in and of their music that makes me think there's anything in this that honors God. And here they are standing up and say, I want to thank God. Uh, he gives me the ability to uh, do what I do and uh, make the music I make. And I'm like, I don't think so. But this is the example that these kids look at and they go, this is, hey, he loves God. I don't know. I really don't know. It's not meant to be a judgy statement. I said that to someone once and I said, sounds like you're judging. I'm just kind of going by like the fruit. Jesus says, you'll know my disciples by their fruit, their love, their commitment, their service, their willingness to do what I say, keeping my commandments, following in love, treating each other with dignity and respect. That's how you'll know that they're committed followers of mine. Hard to say. Everything revolves around Christ. Your purpose, your career, your family... It's a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is uh, one of my favorite authors and uh, theologian. Is that the right word, theologian? If you've never read The Cost of Discipleship, I'll let you borrow it. It's, uh, it's not an easy read, but it's really impactful. This is what he says. Discipleship without Jesus is a way of our own choosing. It may be the ideal way. It may even lead to martyrdom. But it is devoid of all promise. Jesus will certainly reject it. Discipleship my way means I'll tell Jesus what I'm going to do. It means when Jesus says, no, listen, you you fit in the schedule when I put you, I'll I'll pencil you in next Wednesday between 3 and 4. That is discipleship done your way. Hey, if that's what you want to do, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, hey, maybe it's ideal. Sounds pretty easy. It's pretty simple. But you know what? It's empty. It is empty. Is he saying Jesus will reject it? You'll lose your salvation? That is not what he's saying. He's saying if your motives aren't right, it doesn't matter to Jesus. It doesn't matter to God. If you're not willing to put him at the center of your life and to follow him and to let him be the reason why you wake up and make a decision on a regular basis every day to say, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to trust him, I'm going to commit to him, and that's going to give me the power to do so. He says that Jesus isn't going to, no. I'm going to go to church because I want people to see my blue pants. 
My wife hates these pants. She does. I like them. Sometimes that's our mindset. We kind of, this is what I bring to the table. This is what I offer. This is my version of discipleship. Look at me. You know, when I see kids with this attitude, I know where I can trace it back to. I know. When you see parents and adults, and you say, oh, us? Yeah. It's a lack of proper, real discipleship. Dave Clore was up here recently talking about it's not a religion, it's a relationship. I agree with that statement 100%. But that relationship results in like this religious duty, following God, serving, loving others, giving of our time, our resources, giving of our emotional support, our mental support, our physical support. There's a lot that comes into it. If, 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 if you know me, I'm an Eagles fan. I got a bunch of their stuff. I try to you know, pay attention, read up on them, follow the news. I watch the games. I suffer with them, right? That's what happens. Who's the fan? Where's Chase here? You're a Yankee fan. When the Yankees get blown out, how do you feel? Bad. Because we're invested in this. We're invested. We're committed to this. I, I was, and this, a couple years back, it was miserable. See, like four seasons in a row, didn't make the playoffs, losing seasons. And every week I was watching this. This is ridiculous. Oh, we lost again. Oh, I was watching the game the other night, and they lined up to kick a field goal, and I said to my wife, he's going to miss it to the left. Sure enough, boom, kicked it, missed it to the left. Usually she says, why do you subject yourself to this? Why do you do this to yourself? And I got I to gotta stop, and I think, why? I had, I had to stop and ask, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I willing to let this have such an impact on me that it's making me grumpy with my kids? I don't want to talk to my wife. I'm yelling at the cat. The cat didn't do anything. (laughs) Could I be committed just a little bit more to Christ and let that kind of influence me and pour into me and see how that pours out? I don't think Jesus is going to miss a field goal. I'm not trying to like super spiritualize football. The point of it, I'm saying this, this blueprint of following God, following Christ, committing to him. It is not going to disappoint or let you down. It is the most critical decision in your life. So I have three things to consider. We're almost done. I promise. There's three responses that these guys have, and I just real quick going to breeze through them, and then I'm going to ask you, are you somewhere in these camps? There's the first guy, like, I call this the retreat response. It's an emotional response. I'll follow you, Jesus. Yeah! All right, but here's the deal. Hmm. It's like I said last week. You go to the retreat, you hear four days worth of preaching and messages, and you're ugly crying, you got snot bubbling down, and you're hugging everybody, and you're committing, and then you get back in the bus, and it's like right back to the old ways of life. There's no substance to it. I thought that was mine for a second. I was like, how did she get back in here? don't get caught in the crowd if that's the only thing motivating you to follow 
When the crowd disappears, guess what? So do you. That's what happens. When that moment is gone, when that emotion has, has, has left, so does everybody, you know, I'm sorry, I was angry. We, we don't want to be held accountable for the things that we say when we're angry. I was just angry. It's kind of the same thing. We don't really want to be held accountable for those. We responded to this. We were really emotional. I didn't really mean it. It can't be that way. 1 Corinthians 6.20 it says that we are bought with a price. We're not our own. It goes back to that. Die, deny daily. We have signed that deed over to Christ. It's not a casual commitment. It's not when it fits the schedule. When I have no other obligations keeping me from doing what I... Then I'll consider it. Burying his father was a noble cause. How many of you would agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's a noble cause. I lost my father, and to be there for the family, and to take care of what needed to be taken care of, and to take care of my mom, and to be there for the family, it's a noble cause. The point is, no matter how noble the cause, our commitment is more. It's more. It's not just every day. This is like eternity hanging in the balance. Not just mine, not just yours, but your kids and generations to come. And one of the things I'll share, Jimmy, we were talking last week about your little ones and how in another 30 years, they're the future of this church. In 30 years, some of us are not going to be here. 40, 50 years, some of us are not going to be here. What's next? What are we leaving to the next generation? An example of, honey, it's totally okay. Just, I know you're busy. Just whenever you get a chance, it's all right. Or are we saying, no, listen, this is a commitment. This is how important it is. This is a priority. This is where it has to be. This is what God requires from us. This is what he wants from us. This is his expectation because our purpose is to honor and glorify him and to enjoy this relationship with him forever. And the expectation should be, hey, live up to that. It's not a bucket list commitment. I have a, a friend of mine. Her name is Autumn. I used to work for her when I did property management. I don't know if she has a reminder on her phone or on her calendar, but every year, right around my birthday, she calls and she says, Hey, how are things going? Things are good, Autumn. Hey, just want to call say happy birthday. Awesome, appreciate it. Listen, uh, I got some job openings if you're interested. Don't know what you're up to. Every year, without fail. And four years since I've been out of, four or five years since I've been out of TGM, that door is always open. It would be so easy to say, you know what? I think I could do both again. I think that I could, uh, I, yeah, what do you got? I'm leaving my options open. I'm not really. I'm not. I tell her the same thing every year. I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, you know, I'm, I love where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. She's like, great, that's awesome. I think, it's, I think it's a really cool thing. You know, if you ever need me, give me a call. Talk to you later. Like, yeah, appreciate it. Are you leaving your options open? Is your call to follow important, but not as important as A, B, C, and D? If things don't work out, this is what I can go back to. I don't want to burn those bridges. So here's my question. Is it really an option? I think the answer is no. If you're truly a follower of Christ, if you're truly uh, committed to Him, if you're truly born again, if you're truly saved, I don't think the option is there. I think it's a requirement. I think it's a call. 
I think these are the questions that we can ask ourselves. Am I totally following Jesus? Am I holding something back for me? Am I keeping my old self and the things of my old self there just in case? Am I hanging on to things that are keeping me from following? Am I saying I'll follow, but... Are those, th- these are questions we can ask ourselves. Jesus says, I want everything. I want your dreams, your goals, your person, your family. I want the totality of you. To follow me. I think this is important. Our response is not a matter of emotion. It's not an event. It's not meant to be momentary acceptance. Superficial interest. It's not simply saying, I'll follow. There has to be an action to it. We talked about verse 62. No man that looks back is fit for the kingdom. I uh, found a, a paraphrase which is kind of cool. I thought it was like, it's called the passion paraphrase or something. It's interesting. But this is the way it's written in there. It says, Jesus responded, why do you keep looking backward to your past and have second thoughts about following me? When you turn back, you are useless to God's kingdom realm. You're useless. It's like the whole thing about salt. If it loses its flavor, what's it worth? Nothing. You can't use it for anything. It's not even worth throwing down. It's just, it's, garbage it's a waste i think about this when i think about uh, that portion of revelation where he's talking to the laodicean church he talks about your works being hot or cold i wish you were hot i wish you were cold because when it's lukewarm i just i want to spit it out it's disgusting and i think about what that means to the original audience thinking about these cold springs and these hot springs super awesome it's good to have cold water right who likes cold water to drink I do. I like hot coffee. I need hot water to have hot coffee. So it's not about you're cold, you're hot. It's about here's your purpose, here's my expectation. Because what the Laodicean group would understand and what the people would understand here is this. Jesus in both of these situations is looking at him. He tells the Laodicean church, I wish you were hot or cold because when you're lukewarm, it makes me sick. Literally, makes me nauseous. Makes me sick. And Jesus is saying the same thing. When you turn back, when you make a commitment, when you say, God, I'm going to follow you, when you stop to look at all these other things, Jesus says, you are useless. I can't use you. I can't trust your commitment. I can't trust that you're going to follow. I can't trust that you're dedicated. So where do you fall this morning? I don't want to be useless. I don't want to be caught up in my comfort. I don't want to be caught up in my obligation. I don't want to be caught up in the old things. I don't want to be caught up in the things that are going to make me useless to serving and following God. But this is a choice that we have to make daily. So all those things, what am I going to do to pray? What am I going to do to serve? What am I, I going to do to follow today? Start there. And then build that into your routine and then say, okay, what else can I add to this? What else can I add to this? Can I, add, can I do this? Can, what, keep thinking. Figure out what the next right thing is and do it. I don't know who said that, but it made sense. What's the right thing to do next? Commit to doing it. Follow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity just to be here and to share your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn to follow you and to trust you and to commit to you, knowing that it's not just a once in a while. It's a daily decision. Father, we don't want to be useless. On an individual level, and on a church level. Help us to see uh, our need to desire to follow 
after you, to pursue with purpose and to be diligent about it. So, Father, we ask these things in your name. We pray that you would uh, just continue to work in our lives. Amen. Thank you for coming. They're dismissed. <laughs>